0: Well, hello. It's good to have you back for another week. This episode is sponsored by our amazing patrons over on patreon.com forward slash redhills rancher. New this month on Patreon, I'm announcing Patreon merch rewards for some of the higher tiers. So make sure you go check that out at patreon.com forward slash redhills rancher. There's a link in the show notes. Last week, I spent two days out in Lake in Kansas at the bottom line conference, and I really enjoyed meeting some more of you podcast fans and getting your feedback. I hear you, and over the next few months, expect some changes. One reoccurring question that I get is, how do you find out about soil health events? Well, I found a good one on the Kansas Soil Health Alliance's website. Check kssoilhealth.org forward events for more information, or check the link on my link tree, and I'll also put a link to that in the show notes. Just two more things before we get into it today. Make sure you're following me on all your favorite social media platforms. I post different kinds of content on different platforms. I've also been working on a website, and I'm going to incorporate a lot of your suggestions. Just be patient. I'm only one guy, and I'd rather hang out with my cows than build a website. You can find that at RedHillsRancher.com. All right, that's the business and the bills. If you've been with us since the very beginning, today's guest isn't a stranger. If you haven't, you'll have to go all the way back to episode two. That's right. I'm bringing back Michael Kinsey from Reverend Wild Ranch to give us the lowdown on everything he's been doing for the last year and a half. We're going to talk about water runoff and everybody's favorite topic lately, drought. Michael shares a few things he's learned from having a good dog for a partner, and we discuss the future of backyard chickens and what he calls a city-subsidized farmer. Here we go with episode 79.
1: This meeting is being recorded.
0: Do you consent to the recording, sir?
1: <laughs> Do you consent to the cavity search you're going to receive later? <laughs> so, Michael, sure. it has
0: been a while. How are you, buddy? Been
1: quite a while, my friend. I'm good, man. I'm really good. Just uh, happy we finally got some rain. Uh, I know dry in this part of the country is not the same as dry in your part of the country, but uh, it got awful hot and awful dry here for a while, so just happy well, to be growing some grass again it,
0: we're not going to pull them out and have a measuring contest in the first two minutes of the yeah. podcast but drought is definitely <laughs> way different in chickamauga way Georgia, different. than it is in the red hills of kansas like i, I don't even want to don't even want to cu- try to compare how much rain that, no. that anybody's had right
1: <laughs> no no not at all not at all
0: um but we you know we're still powerful dry here it, um the day before we're recording this was obviously way before release date uh yes. it, was, it was a dangerous thing i woke up and it was showering here at the house mm-hmm. so i get up get ready to go to work i take my muck boots with me i get down to this, get down to headquarters eight miles south it's not raining of course getting getting the gator pulled out of the shop after about five minutes it started sprinkling at the shop we got down to the south end and started to move cows we were down there for about an hour and a half and uh it didn't rain on us down on the south end of the ranch i get home early afternoon and there's about Between ten and fifteen hundreds in the rain gauge, I barely got anything done at the ranch. So
1: yeah, yeah, like no effective rainfall, basically.
0: Yeah, it's you know the rain situation is depressing, but you know there's nothing you can do about it other than have a plan before it happens and and to know it. So so let's talk about that. You said that you've gotten some rain now. Yeah, and so you're you're kind of back out of a drought.
1: Yeah. So basically, like, like I said, way different what classifies as a drought here as in compared to most of the rest of the country. Um, but we went, basically from the beginning of June, had like nearly record high temperatures all of June. Um, and it was like above 100 degrees and no, no effective rainfall in June, July 9th, we received like maybe a quarter inch of rain. And it was like a deluge uh, rain. Like it wasn't just like a nice sprinkle that lasted a couple hours. Um, And then we went most of July up until I think the 28th is when we got our first rain. And then in the last 10 days, we've gotten five inches. And I've watched the cover crop that I seeded in May go from being like, you know, six to eight inches tall and like wilted and just waiting, praying for rain to now I'm like grazing off my weanling calves and stuff that's over my head. Right. Um, it's amazing. It's amazing. Like the root system that, 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 that cover crop had to put down and search for water to survive, then allowed it to soak in that rain and just take off. So um, yeah, it's literally a night and day difference uh, in 10 days. It's crazy. So I know what
0: would happen on my place if I got five inches of rain and just, you know. In an hour, I right? could probably soak all that yeah. in. Probably the yeah. same for yours. What about some of your neighbors?
1: Um, actually, Brian, I would say even us. Uh, if we got that much rain in an hour, we probably wouldn't infiltrate at all. Um, that's one place where I'm really trying to use cover crops to my advantage. Um, I am going to end up uh, demoing a Ranch Works aerator this fall to try to see if we can mechanically make some headway there. Um, But but due to the nature of our soils being heavy, heavy red clay, and also the surface limestone we have, like you don't have to dig very far here to hit rock. Um, so, infiltration? Like,
0: Sandy and loam is a lot different than than heavy dirt. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, it's just like so. The good thing about the clay is once that clay gets permeated with moisture, it will hold that moisture for a long, long time. But at the same time, once that clay gets dry, to re-permeate it is a serious pain. Um, It's not like you can just get a heavy rain and all of a sudden it's wet again, most of it will shear. Um, And also it's a topographic issue too because we have really steep, steep ridges. Um, Like we're talking very steep slopes. And so a lot of that rain doesn't just percolate, it shears off. So you get a lot of velocity with your water as well. So um, one thing I'm gonna try, I mean, we, we cover crop the farm this, uh, this summer, but I'm also gonna try this fall. I'm gonna plant a lot of tillage radish okay. and try to, try to see if we can create some biological infiltration um, to try to break up the hard pan and, and really try to go deep. So I want, like, there's no way I can subsoil here. There's too much rock. Um, So we're going to try to do about everything aside from that uh, to see what we can do to loosen up the soil layer so we can help our infiltration. But as you said, compared to neighbors of mine who say are grazing grass right now that's this tall because it's been overgrazed all summer, um, I would definitely say we're in a better position to take on a heavy rainfall and not suffer the uh, kinetic damage that the rainfall gives
0: kinetic damage meaning erosion
1: correct (laughs) caused by raindrops not by sheer force
0: right right raindrops capping over the soil or you know a whole bunch of raindrops running down a hill grabbing rocks and all kinds of other things on their way so precisely what did how did you make it through the drought what was and like i said you know it's kind of hard to hear about a 60 day drought when it hasn't really rained. Oh, I, know. I know. Yeah. But, uh, so like what, what's your thought process? Did you identify it early enough? Were you able to get, Hey, did you destock? What was your strategy to manage through?
1: So currently like I was operating, we've decreased our numbers, um, which that had been my plan previous to the drought. Anyway, I was trying to decrease, I'm trying to cull now for quality, um in the herd and my goal is to be down under 300 head by the time we hit winter. Um so that's been my plan all along drought no drought. Um however, previous to like when the drought really started to set in, um obviously kudzu is part of my drought reserve plan. So using that and I've talked to you about that uh not on a podcast in the past. It's like Oh, we'll um, circle back to
0: so, Kudzu, Don't worry. Uh,
1: okay. Okay. Well, uh, that was part of part of the drought reserve for me, um, but also, like, I mean, I'll say I was telling some of my friends, local friends, that we were within about twenty days of a pretty severe destock. Like, we were going to have to drastically limit our numbers and start feeding hay if we didn't receive the rain that we received. Um, and I think part of that too, is just like, you know, y'all stocking rates out there mirrors your environment and same thing here, you know, like right. I'm running, like I'm running 400 head on 380 acres of pasture. Um, you know, that's not something you can really do. <laughs> and and so, <laughs> uh, yeah. So like the problems, you know, when you say like, oh, well a 60-day drought, like, oh, that's not that bad. But when you're running at capacity, it, or even technically a little over capacity, it, the problem's still there, regardless of, like, yours is kind of built in, where like a 150-day drought might be more the norm for you, but at your stocking rates, it kind of affects us the same. Does that make sense? Well, yeah, Um,
0: it's, it's, it's all a management question and just making sure you've got enough grass for your critters and can stockpile till you're going to grow more.
1: Bingo. And so like for us, we were about 20 days shy and, you know, so like I have a buffer in there where it's like, I can start making plans to do things, but I, I definitely, I put the cows in the woods, um, and let them graze kudzu and whatever they can browse, uh, that, and that bought me three additional grazing days um and really it saved my butt because i was going to have to come back and start grazing areas that were not in full recovery yet uh which i didn't want to do but i was like if i have to do this to try to make one more quick pass to try to pray for rain then i'll do it right Um, and it bought me the time i needed so i've been in
0: that situation before where i've been been right down to the wire where I've been either yeah. getting ready to go graze something it wasn't quite ready or I need a little bit of rain. And yep. I've always gotten the rain.
1: <laughs> yep. Thank God. And I, you know, I'll take it every time, but, uh, that was, it was definitely, uh, one of the more challenging things I've dealt with in my time here. Um, I've dealt with a lot of wet, uh, and cold, wet winters. Um, and we dealt with some dry, but like, I have never seen, so we own the most of the watershed that comes across of our, our property. Um, that's, that's and,
0: nice. That's really nice. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So that like, we know, like, I don't mind to let my cows drink out of the creeks because it's spring water coming out of the mouth. Like, and I, there's nothing upstream from it. Right. Um, so I'm not questioning like, oh, is that getting, you know, is there an industrial
0: hog barn up there.
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, So I don't mind to do that. But like the primary artery waterway that goes through the farm is just like dry in early June. And that's, I mean, I've seen it go dry before in August when we were dry, but I've never seen it go dry that early in the summer. And so that obviously I I was kind of terrified as to what that was going to mean. Because typically this time of year is hard when it really gets hot and dry. And we've kind of seen that this year, like for the next 10 days, forecast is in the high eighties. It's just abnormal. So whether
0: we're wearing a hoodie, it was high eighties here.
1: (laughs) Well, I don't know that humidity, will get you
0: high eighties is what we've had some low, like there's been some days where it's been high eighties at seven 30 in the morning.
1: Oh, I know, like all of June, it was 90 plus degrees by the time you get out and the sun's not even up yet. Uh, so, believe me, I know all about it. It's just terrible.
0: Just the sun's just been angry all year. <laughs> yeah,
1: it has been an angry. It's like somebody told me we're in a La Nina weather pattern, or, um, you know, I'm no meteorologist or anything, but it's like, kind well, of like a two
0: and a half year long La Nina pattern that she just yeah, doesn't want to like, leave.
1: She doesn't want to give up here. So, I mean, but it's funny because last summer we had the wettest summer on record here. Um, It was just insanely wet. I was so overstocked in grass that I almost, and I thank God I didn't pull the trigger on it, but I almost went out and bought an extra 200 head simply because I needed that much extra I had that much extra grass. I was like, I might as well take it on and do it. Like, and of course, when the, when you're in a situation like that and you're, you know, inexperienced, I guess you would say like me, you look at a situation like that and you're king of the world, man. You're like, Oh man, this regenerative ag thing I'm doing, it's kicking butt and taking names. Like I can run eight times more cows than my neighbors. Like I'm going to show the world. And then you get a hard, uh, you know, a hard summer and you're like, okay, let's uh, pump the brakes a little bit. Um, it's humbling, it's humbling, but humble is good.
0: Well, I'll yeah. say this, you know, I, as we're both kind of dealing with our own different perspectives on drought, um, it sure does feel good when the neighbors are going, man, you sure got a lot of grass. Why are you pulling those? Why are you destocking?" Well, yeah, because the ones that are left have to eat this all winter. Have you seen yeah. the price of hay lately?
1: Yep. Yeah. that's that's something that I've been dealing with too, is with the neighbor's Driving by and being like, man, you you still got some good grass. You should and, let you me say that. <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, no, no, like I'm like, you know, but it's funny because how much your perspective changes. You know, I, what they see is, you know, I have good grass, but to me, I'm like, eh, I'm not really satisfied with that. Like, it doesn't look as good as I think it should, um, because they're driving by looking at a pasture that has 30 days worth of recovery on it, and I'm like, yeah, wait till it's 60 days um
0: well in their perspective yeah. 30 days is probably the most recovery they've ever seen a pasture
1: Every, yeah that's very true very valid um but yeah man it's a uh, tell you so right before we got on here i moved my weanling calves and those bulls that you used that mm-hmm. came from here dude i'm telling you i'm gonna have to send you some videos and stuff like You're going to be really, really happy with those quarry crosses on those bulls. I'm telling you, I can't wait to see the results.
0: Well, about the time this episode comes out, they should be starting to get on the ground about, I think mid-September is uh, mid-September to beginning of November is when we, when we should have bred them up. Um, I've got seven. I've kept seven of them. Okay. And I, all seven of the cows, I really, really like. Yeah. Like everything that we did on a fall try last year, Mm-hmm. If I could have picked out what I wanted, bred what I actually really wanted, wanted to breed and yeah. keep, it would have been these seven. So I'm, okay.
1: I'm pretty happy with that, and I'm really excited to see how they turn out. Are you thinking you're going to keep bulls out of them? If you have any good bull prospects, or are you thinking uh, probably
0: because okay. that would be that would be a good back cross.
1: Yeah, see, that's what I'm doing. So, like, my favorite bulls um, are South Pole. Cross to those flat influence bulls, um, and so I'm keeping them to then back cross because now I'm going to have some Mashona South Pole bulls that I'm keeping, or or Mashona Red Angus. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just an amalgamation of just genetic diversity over here. Uh, well, let's be fair. I'm I'm getting a yeah. few of your cast offs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, you that was never intentional. Uh, so you say you named him Carlos, didn't you? Yes. Yes. Carlos, the bull. So, uh, tell me about when Carl. I, so when I sold him to Richard, um, I did so thinking like that would be a good, easy way for him to make genetic inroads in his program. And then obviously, you know, he had he, Richard, I love Richard. He's all over the place, man. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just like, so when all of a sudden I found out it was on your doorstep, uh, I was like, wait, what, what, um now I'll say this um and I might have told you this if I have correct me but his dad was Hamish which was probably the favorite my favorite bull that I've ever had or one of them. Um, I remember
0: I kind of remember he, him.
1: Yeah, he was the most masculine of the south bull bulls that I ran. Um and he's now working at Poly at Polyface and so There's you know you Salatin, name, Rob, for
0: for those that don't yeah, know that name i
1: don't know yeah um so that's his sire um his dam is a now dead Mashona, that full-blood mishona that came out of the central florida herd which if those who don't know that's the herd that is basically the original genetics from what was brought over from africa um
0: How long ago, was that?
1: T- i want to say it was in the 90s i think it was like '90 mid 90s I can't remember exactly when Um, because I think if memory serves me correctly they originally came to Texas and then that Texas herd got sold to Florida Um, and I think they were brought to Texas in like the early mid 90s and then I think somewhere around 98 something like that and I might be butchering the numbers uh, they went down to central Florida but anyway his mother was a what Jaime Elizondo calls a two and three. Um, So she bred at two years, or she calved at two years old. She calved at three years old under ultra high density uh, grazing situation um, unassisted. So like from a hyper maternal standpoint, that bull is fabulous. But I don't feel that that bull is going to give you any, terminal value whatsoever um and that's why i go back to the fleck influence not maybe not to the fullest extent but like even across is going to bring back some of that carcass value um, without siphoning away too much of your efficiency Um, or at least that's what i'm going for so
0: yeah i mean there's definitely a great point you're making with the mishona south pole on the you know coming from the bull side not doing a whole lot for my terminal and i see that i see that and i know i'm still going to need to work on my carcass a little bit and um you know there's a there's a hereford bull breeder uh Mm -hmm. 30 miles west here that i've been really keeping a close eye on their program for the last four years and uh one of my clients who listens to the show hi tim um, he brought a couple of Hereford Bulls up to put with his, you know, kind of run in the middle terminal cows. And mm-hmm. you know, those two Hereford Bulls, they don't look like they've lost a pound. They are checked yeah. in, they're working, they're always with always with always with cows. And everybody was yeah. rolling their eyes going, Yeah, that's what bulls do, dumbass. Well, you know. Yeah. I've seen a lot of black and red bulls lose interest in cows on day three and go hide in a far corner of the pasture. Yep, or just go stand amongst themselves in a corner. You know, go stand amongst themselves and not be checked in with cows and not always Mm -hmm. be following some cows around. Like, I don't care how good your EPDs are. Mm -hmm. If some bitch won't stay with the cows, he's not doing his job.
1: Correct. Well, I'll say this, and I learned this from Jaime Elizondo. He told me that it's not always the bull you see chasing the cows that's the most effective, uh, because a old mature bull knows when to be effective. Um, so I noticed this. Um, we're in transition right now from switching from all fall calving to I'm transitioning to spring calf. But I'm going to do that over the course of two to three years, so I don't just have like a glut in production. Um, So I'm slowly like pulling bulls and pushing bulls into from the fall regiment to the spring regiment. So this summer um, was the first time I've ever turned out the full cast of bulls um, in the summertime. And I noticed that Arrow, my most mature South Pole bull, he didn't go chase females like he did like when i first turned him out he went straight to him Um, but as we got deeper into june those super high hot days um he'd loaf in the in in the shade during the day but by the time we got to the time i pulled him his whole underside was like raw like he had been breeding the crap out of some cows But he's doing it at night yeah. And so Jaime has told me that like when you're dealing in really hot conditions of uh, a, a smart bull, if you will, an older bull, see a young bull just wear himself out. You know, he's a he's a high school freshman sent to the strip club. He doesn't know what he's doing. <laughs> um, he'll just, he's just chasing it wherever he can get it. Uh, whereas like an I older, more it. mature bull, yeah, the older, more mature bull is going to do it when he knows he's most effective. So like at night he can walk out there it's 80 degrees instead of 110 and he's not exhausting all of his efforts so take that for what it will we'll see what the actual results are of that um, in the fall when we get our calf crop but I think um, something to be said for a bull that can really effectively do his job and I think sometimes our metrics are based off what we observe but we don't observe as if we're constantly in the pasture you know right. like um and so like for instance i was talking to uh, jeremy ean the other day which if you don't know him he's a uh, he owns lakota ranch in virginia and is a devon breeder and i was called him up because i saw a post he made on facebook where he has a bull named Red Dude who, for three years in a row, has bred ninety cows in forty-five days. Wow! Um, and yeah, so I had to call him. I was like, I, "That's the kind of performance, you know, regardless of breed. I don't care about breed. Um, that's the kind of performance out of a bull everyone should be striving for, in my opinion. That's what I want. I want because, I mean, especially when you start talking about the average cow calf producer." Um, and I know Kit Farrow kind of talks about this a little bit, you know, he claims his bulls can service 50 females. Um, and he says that fairly regularly, but you know, to the average producer, you know, that's not value adding, that's not that's just your standard producer. You know, if you could go from having a, a stall of bulls, that's 10 deep to a stall of bulls, that's three deep, that's a huge savings in cost. Um, and honestly, your quality is going to go up. So I always look at that as like serviceability of a bull. Now granted, you're always going to, I would never tell somebody like, Oh, just run one bull because I've done it. And that's a huge mistake.
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Something bad can happen. Anything bad can yeah,
1: happen. Yeah. Yeah. Any, you never know. But at the same time, like the thought of having a bull that or having a couple bulls that have the capacity to do that. And now obviously, that bull's in his prime. I think he's seven, six, seven years old. I didn't actually. I don't remember if I asked him. I don't. So don't quote me on that. Anyway, but a bull's not going to be able to do that like his whole life. Um, but still, like if you got three years of a bull breeding ninety females, like that bull paid for way. himself, in my opinion. Yeah, for sure.
0: Yeah. Then um, you can talk so, about you know ten or fifteen thousand dollars for a bull if he's breeding that many cows
1: yeah yeah i mean like that's like oh what? that actually pays itself back it's much in the sense that like i just got a border collie um i'm not sure if you're aware of that or not oh I, um, yeah i
0: look i spent <laughs> a little bit of time t- stalking your TikTok, so i had some material to ask you today yeah i was going to ask you about your little yeah <laughs> we
1: okay well let's uh, talk about i her. guess i said wait right okay let's talk about rue dog um rue is a dog that like okay so i used to search for border collies I've had people ask me ever since I got on TikTok why don't you use horses why don't you use dogs that's um and I don't use horses for a myriad of reasons namely because they are very expensive um so are good dogs. but so are good dogs the difference is I can get two or three good dogs for what it costs me to get one good cutting horse um
0: and a dog won't buck you off and break your arm
1: that's very true also into a
0: gate and break your leg
1: well and also with dogs um you know two good dogs can do the work of about three or four good men uh when it comes to gathering cattle um
0: or more i've seen some really good dogs that can work in big country
1: oh yeah and see like so for me rue came from wyoming she's from big country um I got her because she was listed on Ranch World ads, um, and I was looking for a short coat Border Collie that was timid, that had like didn't wasn't a real hard bite, and so the rancher that had her was selling her because she had no bite. He's like, she's got great eye, but she you know she can move sheep all day long, but she has no bite. And me being a rookie with herding dogs, I come from the gun dog world, like. I didn't wanna run out there with cattle that have never been treated with dogs, have a dog that, you know, like uh, a hanging tree that's gonna go out there and just grab ear, heel, nose, whatever he can get his maw on. Hanging um, tree dogs are
0: not for the novice stock dog handler.
1: No, as you know, I I didn't want a dog that was going to A, make my cows really flighty of a dog or aggressive towards the dog. And B, I wanted a dog that had an easy handle, you know, that I didn't have to worry about that dog running off the rails and getting his own ideas of chasing those cows. Um, So it was really me just dipping my toe into the water in a kind of a safe way. And man, did it not open my eyes to just how much a good dog can do. Um, So I'm currently in the process of looking for another dog uh, that has a little more uh hitching its giddy up. Uh but it's definitely uh
0: like a little more aggression or I, or more speed. Yeah, or? like
1: so, well, not not really any more speed. Rue's pretty quick, but I, I'm looking for a dog that's probably got more bite. Like because Rue has none. And when I say none, I mean none. Uh like, so I'm she'll looking just for a dog that, run up
0: and fake at it. And
1: yeah, like she'll run under under feet that are getting kicked over her head and she'll uh, but if a cow turns around and and walks towards her. She's backing up. Hey, um, you know so. Yeah. And the the really rancher not. I got her. From, yeah. And so the rancher I got her from sent me videos before I even got her of her working with her dad. Um, and she's a great backup dog. Like she'll be right there behind. You know she's quartering behind them. But you need a dog that can walk up and when a cow faces them, will nip a nose, uh, put a cow in its place. So I, that was one of those things I was just real scared of an overly aggressive dog. Cause I got young kids, uh, you know, I don't want a dog that's going to heel bite my, my kids trying to hurt them.
0: Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah. the Cross blue time, healers kids, off your list.
1: Oh, I did. I did early on. I'll, I'll let you run that road. Um, although I, <laughs> they are the most adorable puppies in the entire world. Uh, they are little demons. So I'll, I noticed though that border collies are different, and that's kind of why I sought them out. Because my former neighbor, who's since packed up their sheep operation and moved to Michigan, um, she raised border and trained border collies, and so I've seen them work before, and I was always kind of enamored by them. And they they have a pretty genteel spirit, but they can turn it on when they need to, um, and so. With my limited experience, I was like, that seems like the safe bet. And so that's kind of what I'm looking for. I've, I've passed over a, um, a couple Kelpies, but like I said, I'm kind of a novice to that part of this world. So um, just kind of feeling my way through it, but definitely has opened my eyes, changed my perspective a lot. Cause I used to tell people like, I don't need a dog. You know, like I've, I go out here, reel this polar wire up and holler, come on cows and my cows come. Like, I don't need a dog. And it's until you actually have the dog, that you realize, holy crap, this comes in handy. Uh, You don't realize how much extra walking you gotta do.
0: And then you start thinking about what you can get the dog to do and then what Mm that can allow you to do with cows and how many different things that you can start doing.
1: Yeah. So like, you know, that's something I've looked at is I, I told my wife this the other day is I really want three border collies. I was like, that's what I've made it up in my mind. And I'm not going to get there overnight. That's going to be a, a long-term thing. Um, but I was like, I think I, I could almost sit in the house and the ranch could run itself if I had three border collies. Like they're so freaking smart. Um, they don't close gates, Michael. They don't. But, you know, I'm going back to the Bob Kinford way of things. Let's start just training dogs to in herd. Just like get get those cows moving and keep them, let them be the artificial predator, you know?
0: I like it. I think that's a cool idea, but you still got to, then you got to train the dog to move the cows. cows around yeah.
1: there. Oh yeah. That's a joke, by the way. But, um, I, I do think there's some possibilities there, but I think, um, ultimately I think with the number of stock that I run, um, having two good dogs, cause I'm not getting rid of Ruth. Love that dog, but she ain't got the bite. So she's always going to be back up. Um, like, I think two two more good dogs, and I'd i really be able to accomplish a lot as far as cutting out stock. Um, like right now, for instance, I, I still run with pretty limited infrastructure here. Um, so you know, if I got to cut four steers out, haul them to the processor, and the cows are you know a, a mile away from any you know corral or anything, you know, I can take panels out, build a corral pen, but I've still got to run them out of a you know whether it be, depending on how tightly I'm grazing them, a four acre paddock or a 40 acre paddock. Mm -hmm. Um, And so like, that's still not easy to do because their whole mentality is to stay with the herd. Um, So I think being able to cut out stock, things like that, there's just a lot of things that dogs, uh, good dogs allow you to do. But there's also a lot of, and I talked to uh, Kyler about this a little bit, Um, that's, bad dogs can screw you up really bad so yeah. that's why i have really i really tried to um you know look and be do my due diligence before i just like oh yeah that's good dog P- purchase that one um but anyway that's yep. that's kind of the, the uh up and down on the
0: i've heard a lot of dog guys well i haven't heard a lot of dog guys but i know a lot of dog guys that have good dogs and yeah they usually travel with a pack of three. Yeah. They've got their good dog, their backup dog, and then their dog, they're either training or is working towards retirement that just kind of is there to, yep. you know, backstop the other two. And yep, Yeah. Three good dogs, three good dogs. a guy can get done a lot and I bet where they really come in handy. It's not just during daily moves. It's not during your normal daily routine. It's when stuff goes off the rails or on your neighbors yep. or you know they have yep. packed their bags and they're running down the road going to town
1: yep that's the thing is for me and i have said that before i even got rue is like you know i don't need a dog on a daily basis from a standpoint of you know really heading and, and whatever like trying to move stock they will move themselves to fresh pasture when i reel that line up and call them but you know, because I'm running with limited infrastructure, stuff tends to go off the rails quite often. Uh, you know, there's the taglesses around here that just decide they're gonna. There's no fence that can hold them, and they're gonna live as free spirits. So, um, though, you know, I'm constantly dealing with calves getting out, cows getting out, um, and when I say getting out, I don't mean leaving the property, but like you know, being in a pasture they're not supposed to be in yet, things of that nature, and, you know, that's where I go back to saving steps, um, you know, that dog, they're, not they, they they're just not the where dog. they're
0: supposed to be,
1: they're not where they're supposed to be, um, so that dog will go out there and, you know, bring them back instinctively, and whereas previous to me having a dog, I had no help, A, I was out there by myself, you know, waving her arms around like a lunatic trying to get, you know, run the cow back to where it needed to be. Um, it's And so really, it, it kind of comes down to uh, just having backup, honestly, uh, more so even than I think the dog outworking me or, or anything of that nature. It's like, you know, when you've got some of the ground we run here is very steep. It's still pasture, but it's very steep. And you know, when that cow can easily outrun you up a hill um, oh yeah and, you know and you know how it goes like if you get out chasing a cow that's out and you're trying to get her back in they're going to do everything in their power to make you say every word under the sun that you know um I usually can't and, say
0: anything when that situation is going on because i'm so out of breath
1: there you go um <laughs> and so once again having a dog that lives for that um i've only dealt with that once since having rue and it was life-changing and so anyway that's that's pretty much where i'm at now with dogs i've kind of realized like okay this is definitely something i want to pursue um so you'll probably definitely be hearing and seeing more from me on that front in the future
0: yeah i've had a lot of requests for stock dog content and this isn't it like i was i wanted to sit down with kyler and do this like yeah several weeks ago but something came up kind of at the last minute he had a few things going on and he said can we you know can we wait a while yeah no problem we'll push that down into the fall so
1: yeah well i think you uh you definitely need to do that when you can because i would like to see more of that um i I, it's because like i said it's something i'm a novice at and i definitely uh want to learn more about it you know i i've I've said that in my dealings with rue you know and really with any dogs i personally don't feel like in my operation, a dog belongs in the corral. Um, I don't really have much use for a dog once the cattle are penned. Because at that point, I want, it, I want low stress stock handling to take hold. And you know, there are some dogs out there that are great at manipulating cattle in tight quarters, no right. doubt about it. Um, my dog is not one of those dogs. Um, and I really find that I can handle the stock more effectively without a dog present. But um i definitely think in the open whether it be in the pasture or open country like man i think i understand the old like the old ways of like a good horse and a good dog can really make all the difference i'm just not ready to go down the path of the horse yet
0: (laughs) (laughs) well you're also not really on that large of a place honestly yeah and dog definitely makes sense for you I and
1: mean, then oh I, for sure for sure like
0: it's definitely a very cost effective and and stress reducing part of your operation yeah for
1: real and like well and just to cap the whole thing off is you know we were kind of talking about bulls and bulls paying you back in terms of their effectiveness as dogs in comparison to you know cowboys that you gotta hire for the day uh you know if something goes off the rails i've got friends i can call i guess but you know most of the time they're not available or they're busy or whatever it's going to be an hour before they can get there blah 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 blah. or two you know, that dogs really that yeah that dog's really a cheap insurance policy uh
0: i can see that i mean i don't know what day help rates are in chickamauga georgia
1: well and you four. gotta find it yeah it's <laughs> rare rare to find it that's the problem it's not not nearly as uh, a
0: Yeah, well, I don't want to say a number out here on the podcast and put it out publicly what I've paid day help, but uh, it's high. It's high. But then again, you know, you got to consider that guy's commitment, even if it's only going to take them an hour to hour and a half once they show up, Mm -hmm. you know, they've got to go catch their horse, hook up to the trailer, yep, get their crap together, get loaded, drive wherever you're at, do the job, and then reverse the whole process. Correct. So it's not, you know, when I got to call Day Help to do a job, yeah. you know, it doesn't matter if the job takes an hour, takes thirty minutes, or half a day. I mean, yeah, if they're there if they're there a half a day. It's they're going to get a, a half a day, day. day
1: rate. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: They're going to get a half day rate, which and yeah. that's the least that I'll pay somebody. Not yeah. going to say what that is. If you really want to <laughs> know what my half day rate for Day thugging Day thugging is, you can you can send me a message. There you go. So you've been mentioning weaning. Yeah. Like how far are you into weaning and have you preg checked yet?
1: Um, we are currently 20 days into weaning. Um, I am trying to get to around 35 to 40 days before I turn them back in with the herd. I know a lot of people, once they go to weaning, they never go back to the parents until they're bred. Um, I don't run two herds here uh, any longer than I absolutely have to so they will go back in um, to the main cow herd um, after about 35 to 40 days. If anybody keeps sucking there they go to the stockyard. Um, that's just kind of the way I do it and for better for worse. Weaning we late wean so we're I didn't start weaning until the calves were nine months. Uh, that's i kind of like to do that give because i don't like to give the moms too much of a break i want to give them a break you know to recondition themselves before calving but i don't want to give them you know a quarter off i give them like two months okay here you go getting better condition calf because i want they they are the creep feeder you know i want them to right. be putting pounds on that calf right up until it the tipping point basically um and as far as preg checking goes, my plan is right now, um, if you've been stalked my TikTok, you saw, like, I just tore down my death shed, my terrible cattle handling facility. Um, and we can talk more about that in just a second, but I won't preg check until we install the new system. And that's probably going to be in September.
0: I, I did have facilities upgrades written down on my question sheet. Yeah. Okay.
1: Well, we can go right into that if you want. Yeah, yeah good segue. Uh, so yeah. uh, what are you building? Yeah, there you go. Um, so I got together with Aeroquip, um, started talking with them. And I have like, this is what I call my interim facility. This is I'm trying to work with what I have um, for the most part. But some of what I had was just absolutely not effective at all. And it was really a liability. Um, in terms of safety and and, and animal handling um, so I was working with a system that was left over from a dairy that was left that was then bequeathed to a beef operation that was here before me and has been in existence for 40 to no much longer than that probably 60 plus years um, and anyone will tell you that working cattle on, slick concrete is a really stupid idea and i've been doing i've been doing that for four years Um, so after many close calls and one injury that i sustained uh i decided it was time to uh change that so uh i leveled what I, i call it the death shed uh just because it was just a low shed over concrete and that was a effectively what was being used as a crowd tub to a half rotten wooden alley to an old rust bucket palco shoot
0: um well hey i'll I'll say something about those old old rotten corrals yeah gotta be a gentle handler or they're gonna tear them up and we got by in this country for a long time on wooden corrals that you can't just slam cattle in
1: you learn to be vastly more effective. Um, However, in my talks with Aeroquip and some of their people is, they told me they're like, you know, a lot of my problems were light driven because I was bringing cattle out of an open corral into a dark shed and then trying to get them to go into a light alley. It doesn't Um, work. It it just causes all kinds of discombobulation in the cow's mind. Um, Also like our alley was just, Like I said, half rotten wood, obviously not adjustable. Um, so (laughs) I was constantly having calves turn around in the alley or get stuck turning around in the alley. Um,
0: I know how there was a
1: a lot, yeah, there was just a lot wrong with it. And you know, when you're, when you're young and stupid, uh, you know, you can have fun with it for a while. Um, and there's multiple times that you know cows would bolt out down the alley hit the head gate as fast as they possibly could slip it get caught by the back hips and i'd run out grab them by the head bulldog them and you know shoot them with a vaccine or whatever i was needing to do um that only works until it does
0: yeah that's fun it well it's what's even more fun is when you hip catch one of my corrientes or longhorns in the head gate And they're up there flailing around with two feet spear on either side of their head.
1: Funny enough is I do have a few cattle. Most of them are gone now, but I did have a few cattle with horns on them. And it was always those that got hip caught Uh, (laughs) for whatever reason, I guess, because, you know, if you've got somebody running the head catch, that's not like really trained. And also it's even if you are really good, if that animal's moving at speed, it's just hard especially oh, yeah. when you got to judge the width of those horns coming through. Um, yep. But yeah, I, I know all about that, that life. It sucks. So anyway, long story short of it is um, I'm I'm getting a hydraulic chute, an alley and a and a bud flow cow uh, tub, which I think will radically change my cattle handling. Um, I got. I tore out. Like I haven't even posted this on TikTok yet. Like the concrete pad that was there. Uh, I had one of my buddies with an excavator come in, bust it all up. Um, we ex- we used it as fill, extended the pad, put down fill dirt, capped it in crusher run, um, and I'm going to build a pole barn over the whole the whole system. Nice. Um, yeah. So like when it's done. Uh, it will radically change um, our, our flow. But more than anything, Brian, the thing I'm exceptionally excited about is currently, I have no method by which to weigh my cattle, which drives me insane.
0: That's less and than a deal.
1: Yes. And I'm finally going to get uh, load bars under my shoe. Nice. And I am thrilled to freaking death about it um and of course there's a lot of other things that compound on that like when when working your stock becomes easier to do you're more likely to do it uh and not pass it by and so like i'm now looking at like the potentials of maybe start doing some eid um you know and start if you if you're putting bad, load I'm bars on your
0: time. scales mm-hmm. you're already ear tagging right mm-hmm. Okay. So your ear tag, your bottom barrel Z tags are probably a buck 20 now for whatever they are. Yeah. Yeah. The 840 EID tags. If you want some next year, you better order them now.
1: (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's the thing. That's the thing. Anything. Um, Yeah.
0: But the cost is real reasonable. You're talking like an extra $3 a unit.
1: Yeah.
0: For the ear tag and Z tags. If they stay in the year 18 months a lot of times you're lucky you know much less two three years and the 840 all flex tags are are designed to be kind of a permanent thing but if you got load bars under your scales you're already going to have an electronic weight why screw that up by trying to transcribe it to a piece of paper
1: bingo and that's that's where i've started to like shift my mindset uh, which actually it's not a shift of mindset i'm always trying to be more and more efficient um it's just a matter of taking it bit by bit, and now I'm instead of taking it a little bit at a time, I'm I'm trying to make big strides um, to really take my time back um, because that's something that I really was only working the cattle probably on a good year I'd work them twice on a bad year I'd work them once uh, just due to a limited help and it being a royal pain. Um, I think the, this has been two years ago now, we worked the whole herd, calves tagged, vaccinated. I mean, we did everything, cut calves, literally full herd work, um, preg checked. And we worked a 16 and a half hour day, um, which, you know, with the systems we were using, we were beat to death. By the a time that long day was like anybody. Bit. Yeah. Um, so that kind of is the stuff we've been through that led me down the path of obviously things have to change. And you know, I want to get to a point where I look forward to working my cattle because right now I can't condition my animals or with I say right now, with the system we had in place, I couldn't condition my animals to take to the shoot. As if it was a low stress thing, because there was nothing low stress about it, right um, and, and so I think being able to regularly run the animals through, whether you're doing anything to them or not, just let them walk through the chute, just yeah. run them through the system.
0: One thing that I've wanted to try, yeah, is run them into the chute, catch them, and then have somebody give them a piece of cake or a couple pieces yeah. of cake. yeah and then let them go yeah and i think i think a positive reward reinforcement training scheme like that could really pay off and trust me i totally get what you're saying i'm sitting here thinking about like man that'd be nice yeah you know have and a thinking like man it'd be cool to have the pins right in the middle of the operation so yeah but mine aren't like yeah they're almost in a corner like they're on an they're definitely on an edge almost in a corner Mm
1: -hmm. so i've sounds familiar (laughs) yeah it's a
0: balance it's a balancing act like yeah i'd like to bring them down you know they're in this time frame to do this or well maybe we'll just do it out in the pasture instead you know go out sort the bolts off in the pasture instead of bringing them in stripping bulls off yeah okay yeah that'll be a little more pain in the ass but it's lower stress on the cows Mm
1: -hmm. if i had
0: a set of pins in the middle of the freaking operation where the cows were yep you know it'd be a lot simpler but If wishes were horses, I'd be on a flat piece of ground that I could strip graze all of and everything. Yeah. We got to deal with what we got. Oh yeah.
1: Listen. So I made a deal with one of my neighbors, um, gosh, last week, um, he's got about 15 acres runs. He has five cows. He runs a food truck. Okay. And great guy. Love him to death. Um, and really interested in building local supply chains. And so got to talking with him. He actually came by the ranch this morning. Um, But I need somebody to develop my bull calves for me because I don't, you know, it's kind of funny. It's like, well, I have plenty of land to most people around here. Like, oh, you got all that land. Why don't you just put them somewhere? And I'm like, well, because it screws up everything else.
0: (laughs) Uh, I I know exactly the feeling.
1: Yeah. And so I got to talking with him um, about developing my bull calves for me. And you know, I was like, why don't we do this? You know, Why don't I send you 10, my top 10 bull calf prospects and the low three will just ban them or you can slaughter them as bulls and run them through your food truck. And he was like, sounds like a plan, dude. Um, and so- Is that what he normally does? He
0: runs his own through the food truck?
1: Yes. Um, so he has a couple mama cows and then occasionally he'll buy a steer from somebody. Um, and so that's one of those things where trying to capitalize on things, but I'm like, we have to start, and I know I'm kind of somewhat running off on a tangent here, but-
0: Oh, that's fine. Chase that rabbit, son.
1: But we have to start building localized supply chains that can value add. Um, and, and that's something where I, I'm like thrilled to death about the prospect of that. Like, I'm just basically going down the list of things I'm excited about right now. Um, I'm really excited about that in the future because First of all, it's a it's a win win. He's got he has one mama red Angus cow right now. She has thrown twins two years in a row and raised both of them both years. Um, he's going to bring her to me because he's like, I don't you know I don't need her. I'll just raise your bull calves and get the you know the steers that I need. And so it's really a I scratch your back, you scratch mine situation. Um. But also he's like, you know, but if you ever end up with like a cow that's, you know, on her last leg, can't really do anything. He's like, I can, you know, I can sell your ground beef to the food truck. Like we'll just get a, a process and you like so you have standing processing dates, like just take her and, you know, and I'll, I'll take it. So building those resilient, like value adding supply chains is really um, something I've been harping on lately, but, um. Sorry, my brain is running in like a thousand directions right now. Cause i I'm, I'm I'm now like in my mind regurgitating up all these things me and you have talked about on the phone, like in previous conversations. And it's like, oh yeah, we should talk about that. Oh yeah. Um so on that note, totally unrelated. Well, not entirely, but I want to tell you what my soapbox of late has been.
0: Jump on it, my, buddy. Let's hear it.
1: And my, my soapbox of late, and I'm not telling you that I have the most poignant, well-thought-out um, mindset on this, but first of Frequent all...
0: Listeners of the podcast, are, are they're used to that from me by now.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> our brains work brilliantly alike. It's a scary thing. Um, I think right now, my soapbox has been the destruction of American agriculture From a standpoint of development and what i mean by that is what like most people when you hear that what comes to mind is you know uh suburban sprawl and Mm -hmm. that is what i mean but in a different context Um, i think partially what is destroying agriculture today is the i call them the city-subsidized farmer, and what I mean by that, or the wannabe homesteader, one or the other. They can, um, and so that, what that looks like in my area and what is pricing me out of being able to buy additional agrarian land, is people that want to flee the city, buy five to 10 acres, build a Chip and Joanna Gaines farmhouse, put a barn on it that houses a brand new uh, you know call, call it Kubota or John Deere subcompact tractor that mows that grass and they have they maybe if you're lucky they have a dog and a couple chickens and so what that looks like in my area is you have you know a 100 acre farm, 200 acre farm, 150 acre farm, 300 acre farm, and they have all been sub-lotted into five and 10-acre tracks that now have these houses sitting right in the middle of them. And some of them put up fences and some of them don't, but none of them do anything that is agriculturally productive. Um, and I know this is happening kind of everywhere, yeah. um, unless you're hyper rural. Um, But that's something that really has. I don't
0: see it in my neighborhood, but I can see it from here.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I think that's just one of those things that has replicated itself. And I don't know if it's a popular culture thing. And what's funny is I had a conversation with um, my brother in law, brought some of his cousins down here from Northern Illinois, Wisconsin area. They're like, they're from Milwaukee, Chicago city city dwelling folk and came out here and I was kind of on that stoke box talking to them because one of the guys was telling me he was like you know hey you know I really would love to just get me about 10 acres and do this and I told him I was like well see it's people like you that are putting me out of business and kind of he's like you could tell his eyes got real big and he was like you know I've never thought about like me wanting this is taking away from people that are actually producing food. And I'm like, yeah, I was like, land produces things. And it's, when it's gobbled up into non productive blocks, it never goes back to production. Right. Like it will never be in production again, uh, you know, unless there's some catastrophic cataclysm that levels the playing field. And, you know, a couple hundred years from now, sure. But in our society, we never move backwards in that regard. Or it's very rare and it's a very long timetable it, it so, wouldn't
0: be in the foreseeable future of the current, no. of, of where we're at now in
1: the world no so we talk about like needing to produce more food for a growing population blah 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 blah, blah the whole song and dance but at the same time and i'm not talking about the people that are truly focused on self-reliance right. you know there's a difference there, there are people that are going out and would give their left arm to buy 10 acres and they're going to use every square inch of it to grow food for their own family or for their neighbors or whatever and that's beautiful and I think we need more of that for sure but what sucks is those are the people that are getting priced out of buying that land um, for the by and large so I've started doing um, some consulting and I've done a couple consultations for people that I, and I'm not poo pooing anyone here, but like for people that have money, that have bought acreages, you know, not just small. Like we're not talking about like sub tracks. We're talking about actual productive farms, right? Um, you know, and my first question is always, does this need to cash flow? And I've never gotten the answer of yes. <laughs> and that bothers me. And so I was telling one of my, my cattle friends the other day, I said, "I've decided I'm not taking on any more clients that say no. From now on, I, you know if, if anybody wants my help, they have to want to be in agriculture, not just living some daydream on tech, big tech money or you know uh, windfall that they got from you know somebody dying or whatever.
0: Bitcoin or um,
1: yeah, selling, whatever. Selling,
0: <laughs> selling board ape NFTs.
1: Yeah, <laughs> there you go.
0: Um, <laughs> I'm going to have to borrow that if anybody ever actually does come to me and wants me to do consulting. I'm, that's going to have to be the first question. I, I really like. Yep.
1: That. Yep. I've learned like I mean, and once again to that same soapbox, uh, the guy that I told you is my friend does dirt work for me that came out with the excavator and took down the death shed with me. He kills six beef a year. He has 20 acres, he raises a few cows, kills and sells six uh, freezer beefs a year. And I asked him, I was like, what are you selling those beef for? He said, well, I just take it to, you know, Skillet it up here, which is our like our local state inspected facility. He's like, and I just ask him, you know, what's the going rate? And that's what I sell it for. And so I started questioning him on his inputs and his costs. And, you know, and you figure out real quick that this is, you, it's a hobby. Yeah. Like that's all it is. It's just a hobby that's subsidized by your other business. Um, and especially for those prices. So I, I kind of walked him through, like I crunched the numbers the other day. For me, my area with what I'm paying for USDA processing, if I were to go to the local sale barn, throw out all my ethos around being organic, grass fed, grass finished, all that jazz. Um, If I was just going to say I'm going to be in the ground beef business and I want to sell as cheaply to as many people in my local area because my community is very poor um, and I want to feed as many local people as I can. What that looks like in my area is I would go to the the sale barn i would probably be paying around 400 dollars for an average coal cow yeah i then have to truck her i have to truck her to the sale or not to the sale barn i have to truck her from the sale barn to the processor i have to pay a dollar a pound usda inspected processing get her processed and you're going to, you know, you're probably talking about, let's just use even numbers, say a thousand pound cow. Let's say she hangs it, make the numbers easy. It's let's 400, say
0: 400 pounds of retail.
1: You think you're going to get 400 pounds of retail on a thousand pound cow?
0: No. It's not doing, condition. No, we're doing easy math though.
1: Okay. But you're not talking about hanging. You're talking about actual retail.
0: Yeah. No, you're not going
1: to. I, I found the, no, you're going to get 300 pounds. Yeah, Like your yield's going to be pretty low. Um, so if you're lucky you'll get 300 pounds so let's say you got 300 pounds to sell now well like if you counter you've got a total investment once you factor in your time which hey here's the funny thought you should get paid for work you do what um, yeah it's foreign ideas in agriculture um you, you're, I, I you, mean you don't that. work it's for fine. free how dare you it's a lifestyle to work for free <laughs> um, I, it's five dollars a pound that's your cost yeah. your cost on that beef is five dollars a pound so when you go to the walmart which i don't but if you go to the walmart and they're selling beef for 450 a pound my question tim was where do you think that beef's coming from i said because their margin yes they are they they can produce that beef for far less than a dollar a pound like the packers can like they're probably i don't know what they are they're production rate is but I'm guessing they're probably 25 cents a pound uh somewhere around there that's and that's a shot in the dark guess I have no idea but I know that they're very effective so they're probably far less than my local small processor is um just due to volume so you take that and say there's still not a whole lot of margin in that beef especially when it has to go change hands against to a wholesaler to then go to a retailer and and the you know pockets have to get padded here right
0: it's you don't just need five dollars because that's your cost fob the locker correct you still have to take it from there and put it to your customers hands correct marketing
1: correct and so what i'm getting at is that beef is not coming from the u.s i was like does some of it does some of it's the super cheap stuff that that skates through like for sure. But I was like, those Packers don't have any allegiance. Like they're going to import beef from Brazil, from Africa, from Australia, wherever they can get it. And especially in terms of Brazilian and African beef, you know, they can, they're going to pay pennies on the dollar to what they would get in the U.S. And you're looking at now you've got huge margins. Right, and so when you look at JBS or National or Cargill or Tyson, and you look at how much their profits have gone up in the last couple of years, that's when you start to put the pieces of the puzzle together. Um, But anyway, circling back to my conversation with that guy is, I told him, also, you are putting me out of business. I said because my cattle have to make me a living, and I I want to sell locally here. I have to be able to cover all of my cost for the business. Right. And obviously agriculture is, no matter how low overhead you try to do it, it's still typically a fairly high overhead business um, unless you're really extreme. And so I was like, you're, you're driving me out of business because you're selling for literally half, well, almost half of what I have to sell for because I have to account for all my costs. And so that is another thing I've been down that rabbit hole lately and on that soapbox, whatever you want to call it. Um, cause there's other local producers that are doing the same thing that are marketing to the same people that would be my customers. And I'm not talking about the, cause I always tell people, I don't sell beef. I sell trust. That's, that's my thing. I don't sell beef. Like if, I'm more than happy to tell people, I told a guy this today, a potential customer. He wanted to split a beef with one of his friends, asked me to compare my beef to Wagyu. And I told him, well, I'll be happy to do that, but it's an apples and oranges comparison. And you should probably just tell him he's not my customer. Um, From a marketing standpoint, I've said this from the get-go, sometimes the best customer you can have is the one to avoid. And I've learned that lesson the hard way is and that's typically how it happens. You have somebody call you interested in buying half a beef or a whole beef and they're going to split it with somebody. And you don't know who that somebody is. And then they get the beef and that somebody was expecting, um, you know, prime grain finished beef that they're used to buying at the Costco. Right. Um, And and it's like, you know, that's not what I produce. And so, yeah, like, why does this beef have so much flavor? Well, because it was grain It wasn't grain to wash the flavor out and it was dry aged. And you're not used to eating dry aged beef either. It tastes like beef.
0: (laughs) Uh, It, It has a beefy flavor.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, but then again, like most all of my customers, my actual customers, I've never had one not tell me that my beef wasn't the best beef they've ever had. And that's not to say that I'm producing the best beef on the planet. I'm not. I'm producing the best beef I know how to produce. Um, but still that makes me feel pretty good. But I've learned that there's a lot of people out there that are value-minded and their value is really cheap. Like they're they are conditioned to cheap food, as we all have kind of been for decades.
0: They are not and our customer
1: though. They they are not our customer. The like the person, so that's why I've I've barked at you about this before on TikTok, and I've barked at Cattle Guy about this. When you tell people buy from the rancher to save money, I get furious because first I don't say that. I don't say to buy from the rancher to get to save money. I know, know. but but I I know me me and you were on the same thread with cattle guy. This has been like a year ago. Um, about that is you. So first of all, we're selling something the grocery store can't give the customer. Yeah, and that's a connection. To the production, to the land, it's trust. As I say, like I sell trust, um, and it's also if you go to the local Walmart and buy a pack of beef and you cook it for your family, and and I'm not saying this is commonplace. Like we have fairly good safety standards in this country, but if you cook that beef and you get sick or whatever, y'all get food poisoning. Are you going to go back to Walmart and say like, Hey, this beef made me sick? No, probably not. And if you did, they might give you a, you know, oh, here's 10% off your next purchase. Yeah. Um, whereas like, I can tell you, like, if, you, if that happened to me, if somebody ate my beef and it made them sick, they'd probably sue me for everything I'm worth. Yes. Um, but the chances, like we're selling the trust of that shortened supply chain to where now this beef hasn't changed hands six times and it's not mystery meat from you don't know where. That has an undefinable value. And by that, I mean, it's going to vary from customer to customer. Some people are willing to put a dollar premium on that. Some people are willing to put a $5 premium on that. And some people don't care. And the don't cares are not your customer. And that's fine. Um, But I have a lot of people locally that are city subsidized with other jobs. Farming is not their profession. It's just something that they do that sell beef under my cost. And it's funny to look at how much subsidy is, because we always talk about subsidies in agriculture from a governmental perspective. Right. But it's funny how much, Subsidy happens because of the lifestyle that people are willing to do work for nothing, or to lose money, to then turn around and subsidize the food per, the food side of things, just because it's what they've always done, or it's how they've always done it, and it's what people are willing to pay in their area.
0: That, so, there anyway, a phrase saying, that comes to mind. That I heard, yeah. that I heard from um, Dave Pratt from mm-hmm. Ranching for Profit School. Yep, he always said, "If you want to be a cowboy, go get a
1: job." Yep, valid, and it's the truth. But the problem is, those people. And I'm not saying it's necessarily a problem. It's a good and bad thing because I'm all about local production and people knowing where their food comes from, shaking the hand that feeds them.
0: Um, whether, that be
1: somebody, whether that be somebody that does it full-time or not, it's just how that affects the actual market. Um, because when you have people, obviously if you have a glut of supply because you have a lot of people willing to produce something at a really cheap cost, that doesn't actually factor in the wheel cost. Right. Then that sets the price standard. Whereas the people like me and you over here, like people that make their living in this industry are held to a higher standard or we have to be slaves to our operation. Like we have to work for free to make up that glut difference.
0: Right. Our, and, our lack of a wage is our subsidy because we don't have cab right. jobs. And- Bingo. You know, you're you're talking about, you know, the city subsidized farmer, which I'll probably go ahead and use that phrase a little more. You're talking about that, just screwing up your local beef market. And I yeah. want to take that a step further and say mm-hmm. that those same folks that are raising five or ten calves in their backyard that are selling to the barn, yeah. that are selling their their wean the calves thing. to the barn, that's what all the backgrounders are picking yeah. up and putting these packages to get putting the pot load package together. Send mm-hmm. it somewhere a little farther west where there's a little more grain.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And, you know, that's what ends up in feedlots is, quote, high risk is yep. not to pick on Georgia, but, you know, is yeah. a couple potloads of cows, a yep. couple potloads of steers from 15 different little farms in Georgia that all went yep. through the same barn that some yep. buyer put together in a potload.
1: Yep. It happens. Like, that's the thing. People uh, in like people that flirt with the industry. That aren't really in it don't understand is the cow calf side of things that how much of the cow calf industry actually lives on the east coast and is radically decentralized it's mom and pop not full time not a business and it's creates an environment that creates cheap prices like but and that's just it like when i see prices of sale barns like from Oklahoma West, especially like the Dakotas, places where, Nebraska, places where people are in the business. Where there's Um, actually a market. A a market, yeah. uh, Well, not always, but if you can cost compare all day long and our prices will always be radically cheaper. Um, And obviously, you know, there's fuel cost involved in terms of shipping those cattle less, blah, 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 blah. it, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that people are willing to give away animals and just blame it on the all shucks. Well, we'll get them next year um, because they're not in the business. They're price takers. They're not price setters.
0: They're, um, they're city subsidized farmers. They're hobbyists. They have no idea what their input cost is. They have a town job.
1: You know, they don't care your flavor because it's it's because, well, I, you know, I got the grass and I'd have to mow it if I didn't have them cows. it it, costs me
0: less to feed them cows all winter than it would cost me to mow the pasture like
1: correct yeah thanks asshole you're
0: just ruining the cash market (laughs) for everybody else
1: correct and so like you know it it gets into me and you all always get to this it's like okay what's the root well the root of it like how do you fix the problem it's easy to point out the problem but how do you fix it
0: yeah that's the fun part and
1: and You know, I don't know that there is an easy fix other than education to the end consumer. Um, Because, like, for instance, that customer I talked to today, wanted to talk, you know, tell me the difference between this and Wagyu. You know, if you're going to ask me that question, I'm fine to answer it, but you might not be able to comprehend my answer. Because, I mean, and I'm not saying that to downplay anyone's intellect. It's just simply like, there's a lot of nuance to this business. Um, You know, like, if I have to explain to you that, like, first of all, that you're the same person, if you're asking me what the difference in my beef and Wagyu is, you're the same person that sees certified Angus beef, and you think that is better than the beef that's sitting beside it. That's not certified Angus. Right. And it's like, and I'm not downplaying certified Angus is the greatest marketing that's ever been done on the history of the planet. Um, Fabulous
0: marketing campaign. Yes.
1: Um, But ultimately, you know, like I always say, like I have a three prong approach to my customer base. And one is people that are health minded because, you know, like it or hate it. You probably have people that listen to this podcast that, Think, oh, that grass-fed stuff's crap, blah, 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 you know, whatever, I've heard it all. Yeah. Um, at the end of the day, there are people that are willing to buy it. There are people who are willing to buy it at a premium. Somebody has to produce it. And in my case, my goal is to produce it with the utmost integrity and no greenwashing. Um, because that's something that happens constantly. And I don't know really anyone in this industry, this portion of the industry that isn't deeply entrenched in covering up things. Um, whether it's, oh, <laughs> you know, they're, they're grass fed, grass finished. They, they only, you know, if you go out there and actually meet them farmer to farmer, yeah, they get them, they get a bucket of grain a day, but you know, it's not really enough to matter to anything. You it, know, it,
0: just, it's less than a half a percent of their body weight and that's okay by weight, the guidelines yeah. that they can eat that much yeah bingo
1: and i'm like that you know that's fine if that's if that's your ethos and you're okay with that and you can sleep at night just be honest about it yeah i'm just i'm the person that just says this is the way that this is the i'm raising the beef that my family wants to eat that like the standards we hold ourselves to is the beef i produce for other people and if you don't see that from a health standpoint then you, that means your valuation of my beef is gonna be lower. So that's one. Two is shaking the hand that feeds you, is you have to be locally minded. You have to want to know where your food comes from and how it's produced. Um, and so like, I'm, I'm building the trifecta of my perfect customer because you can be heavy weighted on one end and then have none of the other spectrum and you still won't want to buy my beef because what I do I realize is hyper niche because I feel like I'm niche within the grass-fed grass-finished world Um, because there's not many people out there that are doing it organically Um, and if even if they are grass fed. Like I said, there's a lot of people that add some nuanced flavor to what that actually means. Right. Um, and that are doing so, you know, like I try to be full spectrum. So whatever. Not not to say in any way that I'm better than anyone else, because if you run a feedlot, good for you, as long as you're profitable. Um <laughs> but at the same time that like we have to know who our customers are and the guy that's running a cow calf operation, um, you know, let's say in, who cares, Texas, like he has to, he has to know that his customer is not the same as my customer. And that's okay because we both have a customer base. The guy that's selling grain finished beef in Southeast Tennessee that is in competition with me is not really even in competition with me right? because I have a cousin, one county over who runs about the same, uh, about the same herb size as me. When I first started this, he was already in the business. His granddad got him into it. And he like, you know, he's, if you could draw a different mindset than mine, that's him. He's old school, grain finished, you know, like cow, calf, organics for freaking hippies, blah, 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 blah. So I tried to convince him from the start not to do what I'm doing, but that he needed to be selling beef. He was just, he was cow calf producing. He was uh, raising his calves and selling them in lot loads, you know, chasing that premium. And he was doing well. Uh, but I tried to tell him, like, dude, you got to get into selling local beef. Like, you, ultimately, the most money to be made is in that. And he just started selling beef like a month and a half ago. Um, and so once again, when I first saw that, first of all, I, was, I don't talk, really talk to him much anymore. But like, I was like, oh, my God, he finally started doing it. Wait, I have more competition now. And then I realized, I was like, eh, not really. Uh, you know, some, but what I have found on the competition side of things is like the West and a price folks of the world. Um, those those are more the people that I choose to market to the people that are very um, awake. I guess you'll call. It. I don't like to use the term woke because that has political implications. Yeah,
0: that, that's but, a bad, uh, that's a four letter word on this that, podcast.
1: Yeah, we don't we don't like that. But people that are living wide awake that see things for what they are that are that want to drink raw milk that want to know where their food comes from that want you know they they already grasp that sphere of it. Um, but even then, a lo- I don't even market to those people. I let them come to me via word of mouth. Um, but it's incredible to me that even within those those groups of people that you consider to be awake, you still find tons of people that, oh, well, I might be from such and such and such and such. And, you know, I can't help myself. I oh, see who that is look it up and you know, and they're, and they're just a local grain finished beef operation. I'm like, wait, oh, oh, okay. What to each their own. Um, but when you start selling, coming on to those same platforms and marketing, like, Hey, we're selling half beef for $2 a pound. Uh, you know, at that point, I just pull up, I mean, this actually happened. This happened about two weeks ago. Somebody did that. And my response to that was simply to pull up the USDA grass-fed report and just post a picture of it where it says that the national average for a half car- at carcass weight for grass-vanished beef is $9 pound. Take that for what you will. Um, I've I've gotten to the point now where I realized I guess when I was young and dumb, I enjoyed it, but now I just like online arguments are frivolous and stupid. So just here you I, go. Take that, educate yourself and move on. I
0: agree 100%. And I just, I try not to argue on social media. I just state my point, move no. on. um Try not to do a whole lot of trolling. um no. So have you seen any changes in your customer base over the last year or so?
1: um yes and no um so it's funny i had a, a customer last month send my wife an email don't know how in the world he got my wife's email it's not listed anywhere okay uh now my my wife is a real estate agent so i'm like it does it, it gets listed but not Probably like not with hard the to find this <laughs> yeah but it's like not with the business so i'm like you know whereas the the business, I don't do actually that much marketing. Um, you know, I'm not buying Facebook ads. I'm not doing like your standard stuff. I'd like to get into doing more marketing. I just don't have the time for it right now. Um, so I know many people would say I don't have the time not to. Um just gonna throw that out there before someone else says it. Um,
0: I, I wasn't gonna say it. I, I wasn't, yeah. I wasn't gonna that one out.
1: But at the same time, um, I haven't really struggled thus far to fill orders, but I'm not swamped in orders like I would like to be. Let's put it that way. So like my as far as my customer base changing, I've seen more and more people um, reach out to me because they want to buy local and have I've had a flood of people hey they start start the email or the text or whatever or the phone call with. I've never done this before but that always excites me and terrifies me because (laughs) I'm either I'm either fixing to waste an hour of my time educating someone who still is gonna take away everything I just said and go buy from the person that's producing the $4 $4 a pound B or yeah. Uh, and that's and fine. or I'm going to have a customer for life. It's, it's really, it's, I've figured out that it, it's kind of one or the other. Um, and those are the people obviously who wouldn't be interested in that, but those are the people I'm truly chasing because I kind of look at it like this is me and you've talked about this before. You can kind of see the writing on the wall. If you go up to 40,000 feet and look at a U.S. agriculture and the political climate and the geopolitical climate and everything that's going on, like we are a mere breath away from the entirety of our industry being turned on its head. Um, With that-
0: I can't disagree.
1: Yeah, with that, I kind of look at it from a standpoint of, I want the customers that when they call me, because freezer's getting kind of low and you can't get beef at the grocery store or it's four times what it is now you know and and you got to just take what you can get
0: um that day could be coming
1: and that day i i mean not to be all gloom and doom but i think that day is coming um whether it come this year or whether it come next year or the next year, I'm not putting a date on it. I'm just saying it's closer than what most people want to look through their rose-colored glasses and see. I want to have the customer base that says that I, like when they call me, I feel an emotional connection to that person to help them because I view them almost like family. Yeah. Um, so I guess you'd say like, like growing a customer base that of like-mindedness, um, and awareness is kind of what I'm shooting for. And that may be like a, you know, try to pull a rabbit out of a hat. It might be a little bit of a magic trick to amass enough people to make that financially viable. I don't know if I'll ever fully get to that point. You're still going to have to sell halves and holes to the occasional, you know, fitness buff person that just wants to try it or the, you know, whatever, you know, the, um, the one-offs, but I think, it's vastly more important to build a network. Uh, And that's why I started doing um, box beef sales again. And I'm still just flirting with it, but trying to do subscription boxes. And me and Hobbs have talked about this before. um, And I kind of gave him my framework for how to do it. Um, it Is basically Instead of trying to sell halves and wholes, which I prefer to do um, because it's just simpler, um, is to the we're constantly getting in the beef side of things. Is people that either a don't have the financial resources to put that much money on the table at one time because it's a huge financial commitment, or b yeah, sure. lacked the lacked the freezer space or the place to put said freezer. Um because a lot of our clientele is down in like the metro Atlanta area. Um, You know, whether or not you actually don't have space for a freezer is up to you. You might just be a pack rat. I don't know. But ultimately, that's why we're like, okay, what can we do to then streamline this process to basically sell shares of a cow without having to go through the process of like, you get to select this, this and this. The problem I have found with that is there's not enough additional margin in doing that to make up for the extra effort involved. The only thing that's beneficial to it is from a scheduling standpoint, let's just use a round number and say like I had 10 processing dates. You can have 10 processing dates and have to find 10 whole beef customers, which to anybody that's done this that's not always simple to do right <laughs> um yeah to but if you have hundred thousand
0: buy- followers on social followers, media
1: it doesn't matter and, and i've told you this before TikTok is not a place to sell beef i still market it on there some um but i've only ever sold one half cow i think no i take it back i've sold one and a half cows to TikTok followers um because by and large TikTok is shooting a is shooting birdshot at 300 yards like yeah the, <laughs> You might get lucky one in a million. Uh, you know, but ultimately the viewership is not tailored to that. And now TikTok has changed their algorithm even more to where if you try to market a product, they drastically censor the viewership. Um so
0: anyway, back Can't to imagine the imagine why, because they probably wanted to drop ah, their ad revenues up.
1: Who knew? Yeah. Um, but as far as doing like the box beef sales, you know, I found that it's a lot of extra work, not a lot of extra margin, if any. And, but the good thing about it was is for me is to say that same, trying to find those 10 whole beef customers. Well, let's say the box represents a eighth portion of the cow. Well, now I just, I need 80 people that can buy a 25 pound box of beef on a monthly basis. Yep. Or, uh, or 160 customers that can do it on a bi-monthly basis and stagger it. Um, that's a lot. It, it sounds like, oh, my God, there's so many more customers, but it's a lot easier to convince somebody to buy that small amount than it is And with the freezer space they currently own than, hey, go out and buy a freezer and then go buy this beef you know, and spend all this money especially when most of those people, the first thing out of their mouth is, well, can I try it first before I commit to it? And I'm He's like, He's out oh, there he walking
0: didn't. around. like, Yeah, and it's
1: like, I, you know, I've already committed to killing this animal. So it's uh, kind of hard to let you taste him. while it, He might taste a little weird still on the hook. Um, <laughs> but that's one of those things where when we got into that, like, and I'm just kind of weighing out to you the pros and the cons of it is, you kind of figure out a you're never going to outperform an uh like butcher box right that's your competition and they had they own that market and their prices are going to be lower than yours because they have the volume i personally never could figure out how to actually ship the beef without a either spending like my left arm or b having to be drastically concerned about the beef, because when it's 105 degrees outside, and that box is getting shipped, you know, ups ground or whatever, in an unconditioned hot box, that's 130 degrees on the inside. Hey,
0: ups trucks have never had air conditioning. And I'm sure that was a condition of taking that job is they knew the fucking truck didn't have air conditioning.
1: Oh, absolutely. I, I'm not getting in on that. Like, you know, if you want to be a UPS driver, those people are union and they get paid really well. Suck it up. Uh, if you can come out and work cows with me if you really think everything is so bad. Yeah. If you think You're it's in bad in U- the
0: if you think it's bad in a UPS truck, go get an in interim of a navy destroyer in June in the Persian <laughs> Gulf. 140 in the ventilation feels like. nice vacation
1: and you and you're in there for how long um
0: when it got it there was a point where it was too hot in the engine room they had to cut our watches down to like all the two hours for heat stress like that's two Two hours hours out of ten is all you could be down there
1: two hours and that's that's when it got real real bad two hours how long do you think a ups driver gets in that truck for Uh, in in any in a one period piece of time Two minutes?
0: Yeah, and I don't know. I mean it's different I, where you're at not, than where I am because you know it's it's miles and miles and miles. Sometimes I think the guy like sometimes goes an hour in between deliveries, depending on well, where
1: No, no, I'm not talking but, about in the cab. I'm talking about in the back. Yeah. Uh because that's where they're taking the measurements. It's not up in the cab where the doors open and they're blistering down the road and get, you know, like it's but anyway, let's not talk about UPS. <laughs> <laughs> let's not chase that rabbit exactly um
0: Let, let's talk wanna, about, let's talk about rabbits let's talk about your okay. rabbits
1: okay um so another <laughs> little venture i've been down lately um, <laughs> i got two does and a immature buck um they're mutt rabbits but they're mostly uh silver fox and champagne they are gent meat rabbits um and that was just kind of like one of those things I've been flirting with for a long while. And
0: are, are you getting into the seed stock meat rabbit business?
1: Yeah, you know it. That uh, has a nice, ring. Has a nice yeah. ring to it. Well, I think ultimately, and you'd be surprised. I think there's money probably in and like it isn't in any industry. I think there's probably money to be made there. Um, I actually have one of my beef clients who's already like on me to like, he wants to buy rabbit from me. Um, and I'm like, ah, you know, I don't really know if I want to do this on a commercial basis. I kind of did it just so I could produce meat for my family because I really like rabbit. And, um, you know, the reason I got into it is, A, I saw the, you know, what was going on in Ukraine, what was happening to grain prices here, like in the U.S., like, okay, grain's going to get way more expensive before they decided to dump glut everything. Um And I was like, you know, raising meat birds is intensive and grain. And I was like, that's going to get more and more expensive. Um, It's a huge risk um, where it's not really replicable because meat chickens, ultimately, you know, I have to call Murray McMurray or, you know, Crackle or something. I have to call a hatchery, order those birds and have them shipped to me. If I, you know, whereas rabbits um, produce virtually not exactly the same, but virtually the same product, Um, and they can do it. I'm not saying it's as efficient, but they can do it all on grass, Uh, so for me, I can call it survivalism, call it whatever you want, like part of it was just a hobby for fun, and just to try something, but I honestly have had them now for, I'd say it's been at least a month, and I regret not getting them sooner. I have enjoyed having them. I don't keep them in pens like uh, traditionally is done. They're not just in cages. I keep them in the barn in a stall that I put chicken wire around and they they call that in the rabbit world, that's colony. That's a rabbit colony. Um, when you allow your rabbits to actually live like rabbits, You know, they can run around, jump, burrow, do all the things that rabbits do. Um, and it's, it's, they're fun animals, like, you know, I can go in there, and they don't necessarily want to be held, but if you go in there and just squat down and sit for a second, like, they come up, and they're sniffing you, or kind of like cows will do, you know, if you go out and just sit in the cow pasture, your cows will get curious to come sniff you, um, so it's been really uh, a good thing, and it's really not expensive to get into, so, you know, I'm not going to tell you you need to get rabbits, Brian, but I think you should probably try to get some rabbits, it'd be a be a worthwhile endeavor you might enjoy it who knows
0: well there's nobody around me doing rabbits so i mean yeah that that could work
1: well my thing is i i said you know if you were going to have something that's quickly scalable that there are three businesses you can get into in livestock that scale very quickly and that's sheep or i'll just say small ruminants but definitely sheep because i don't screw with goats uh sheep (laughs) pigs and rabbits and one of which is literally known for breeding like rabbits
0: um there's a reason they say that
1: there is a reason and so now i have no experience with it i've never dealt with it i'm going to but um
0: you're about to in about two months
1: (laughs) yeah exactly um but i do feel like okay i'm going to build a couple rabbit tractors for my grow out pens and i'm going to move them much in the same way people do chickens. Um, and Joel Salatin's son, Daniel, has done this for many, 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 many years um, with good success. And I don't know that there's necessarily a way in which I could sell that rabbit, but I don't, I'm i not going to say there's not. Because um, like I said, there's a market and a way to make money with it, just about anything.
0: And I, I know think... you would, by the time you have rabbits, to sell, <laughs> you'll have it figured out.
1: I'll have I'll have some uh well or I'll be figuring it out. Um, but I see I you on think... TikTok
0: selling rabbit hats and lucky rabbits feet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Just whatever. Just anything I can do to value add those bad boys. Um, I think ultimately the rabbit though is I, I forgot to mention this is processing. So comparing rabbits to chickens, processing chickens is a pain. I've done it plenty of times like it's
0: There's you know, a lot it of takes
1: well it takes infrastructure to do chicken processing on almost any scale like a
0: rabbit is probably faster per pound probably a lot faster oh
1: a rabbit is quick man and all you need is a knife
0: and not even a big one
1: no i mean you can have a rabbit skinned out gutted you know, in the, in the chill tank in probably like somebody that's skilled with it. I mean, I've seen people do it on video in like less than 30 seconds.
0: I was going to say for like five minutes, if you're like really dumb and slow, like me.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, like me, you know, just introductory, like, huh, you know, rudimentary getting out there and doing it. Um, But it's real fast and it's real easy in terms of, the the levels of nuance whereas chickens you know you gotta dunk those things scald them if you don't scald them enough the feathers don't come off you scald them too much and you start like if, there's just a lot of nuance to that where i'm know i not saying it's bad i've done it and i like it but i think ultimately rabbits are just they fill it we used to eat way more rabbit in this country than we do now um and i think part of that is just the the commercialization of cheap chicken
0: yeah I- um that's that's probably true. Well, and rabbits are cute.
1: Well, there is that. I mean, but some would argue chickens are are cute uh, when they're in a chicken truck hauling down the road, and then it becomes like a in the arms of the angel, you know, <laughs> where it's like a you know a pita commercial or something. But uh, I think you know a Cornish cross bird is heinously ugly, but they're brutally efficient at what they were bred to do.
0: But the problem is they don't they they don't self replicate very well like we don't Correct. have chickens Whereas, we don't have a chicken population that is okay being a meat bird can yep. raise their own replacements and yep. still give you reliable eggs like we okay. don't have that
1: chicken doesn't exist and that's the thing is for me with the rabbits is if you're chasing down a easy super easy to keep super like hands-off simple way to start you know stirring up your meat supply because let's be honest most of the people listen to this podcast are probably in some facet of cattle production i don't know Uh, well but you know what what my number one market is what's that houston oh oilers that want that uh that want to be cattle one my number
0: two market is dallas and my number three market is kansas city
1: Okay. Hmm. So, well, backyard I mean, you meat have, rabbits
0: might be a thing.
1: I say that. I say that about, you know, like you bought a bunch of wannabes. But once again, there are a lot of cattlemen in those areas uh, because, like, the, the DFW statistical area, although has been laid waste to by suburban sprawl, just ask Richard. Um, yeah. but, you know, there still are on the outskirts of that, there's a lot of actual real cattlemen that are still doing their thing.
0: Oh and, and I get Houston, that. And those are the guys yeah. that I all hear from. They're the ones that write in. Yeah. They're, they're the ones that yeah. are on Patreon. They're the ones that are always sending me messages. I hear from those guys.
1: Yeah. Well, I think that's a that's interesting though. That like so Houston. I'm not as familiar with Houston. Um, it's but, in Texas. Thank you, Brian. Wow. <laughs> I've been schooled on geopolitics today. Um, <laughs> home to the Astros. Um so anyway, I think ultimately meat rabbits is a great complement to cattle production because, at least for me, because I found that it's super easy, like in terms of it's fairly hands off, you know, you make sure the rabbits have some feed, have a little alfalfa or, and their water bottle stays full, and that takes like two minutes, and it's done, and that's it, and they self-replicate. You know, and if I and I go to the extent of raising out rabbits in a chicken tractor or rabbit tractor, whatever you want to call it, like, you know, moving that I can keep it in my yard and they're going to fertilize my yard and mow my grass. And I mean, to me, I see it as a very simple thing because, yeah, I'm kind of talking gloom and doom or whatever, but like, God forbid, everything goes to crap in a handbasket like it did uh, during the lockdowns. Like, ultimately, if you have a freezer full of beef, no matter how good your beef is, you're going to kind of get tired of just eating beef. And that's kind of the, the, the
0: thought process
1: I came to. It's like, okay, well, whatever. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I also I have you. a um, – I'm just saying, like, some, some variety is always fun. Um, so I was just like, you know, that, and I'm telling you what got me going down this thought path. Of this experiment is like you know i'd like to have some other food supply that was just as secure as my low input grass finished beef is you know like i know that i can keep that operation going to some capacity with zero input if i had to whereas with chicken
0: you gotta have grain
1: you gotta have grain with pork you've gotta have grain uh lamb i could also do and i'm actually gonna god forbid god help me i'm gonna get a couple more sheep um this fall but i'm actually getting them for root uh Uh because i want yeah Uh Uh, well and i miss my own lamb i'm not gonna lie to you okay Uh, bought some at the store the other day and it was imported grass finished lamb from new zealand and it had zero flavor uh unlike my lamb and so i was like you know what screw this i'm just going back gonna just get a few and be able to produce my own because we love to eat lamb
0: just um, get a few
1: in fact yeah and then it's like rabbits you know just they get a few you know i started when i started i my original flock was 38 and when i sold them a year and a half later there was over 200 <laughs> <laughs> so just saying if uh it happens but um ultimately i think rabbits are something that more people should screw around with because i think there's a lot of people especially in that the homesteader community that or even in ranching like people there's a lot of people that are raising their own chickens um and i think for most people they'd be better off raising rabbits
0: take that for a strong case and my wife will probably listen to this and then come tell me that we're getting rabbits and ask her to build a rabbit tractor thanks
1: well i mean hey I, i'm happy to give you a little extra honeydew this right i
0: appreciate that <laughs> more than so you.
1: i want to know what know. else is on your list or have we covered everything because I, I feel like if we run out of your list you're going to start talking politics to me and that's that's a oh, dangerous no
0: one. that's that's not this one not today yes we'll get into yeah. that someday that that's a couple episodes down the line there's yeah, i was uh, gonna
1: say that may be something we never make a podcast about that might be a little too radical so maybe
0: not you and i but there's i bet there's somebody else that you follow on social media mm-hmm. uh that i've got a podcast scheduled with
1: okay
0: eskimo libertarian from alaska
1: okay actually uh, i don't follow him her her okay well, there you go i don't, uh, don't follow him. yeah
0: so that that should be coming up in about three weeks at recording time okay. her her interview is actually scheduled for um eight days from today, but it'll be okay. It'll come out in about three weeks from the time you guys are hearing us. If if something didn't screw up yeah. in the recording schedule and I don't remember to come edit this out. <laughs> yeah. But uh yeah we're gonna talk about uh we're gonna get into libertarianism. Like I've I I'm gonna go okay. ahead and I'm gonna commit to that. I'm gonna commit to getting into getting a little political okay. on the podcast. Well and I think she's then you can be kick great me up to, on that. I think she's gonna be a great one to do it with because she's native yeah. Alaskan. We can talk mm-hmm. about resilience. Community food systems from yeah. the perspective of a Native Alaskan, and we yeah. can talk about libertarianism a little bit and what that means, and That's awesome, and what that means for everybody. But I, yeah. I, I have, I have, uh, I just have a couple other things on my list. Um, cool social links in the show notes. Anywhere else you want me to send traffic?
1: I, I really don't have that much social stuff. You know, just uh, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, and my website. ReverentWildranch.com or we're just at Reverend Wild Ranch on all socials.
0: Yeah. Good branding. I like it. So keep it uh, simple. Yep. I guess really the only thing I have and I'll let you go is what did you do to the guidestones?
1: I literally told my wife before I came to get on the computer, I was like, he's gonna bring up the guide stones. I can feel <laughs> it. I know it. <laughs> I was like, hey, God. Uh you know, the IRS just hired 87,000 new agents and the FBI just raided Donald Trump's uh estate so like with all that being said um the federal government is for sure listening to this podcast at this point cuz their AI has picked up on this yeah i didn't do anything to the georgia godstones but i applaud the man that did
0: Fair enough. Uh, that's, that's I, I mean I
1: really say this. I think I think it was probably a drunken Fourth of July, uh, you know, living on a prayer, living on a dare, who knows? But uh you know, at, at the end of the day, what I'm interested to see is do they go back up or not?
0: Ooh, that is a good question. That's a good question.
1: My I mean my thought is no. But I I'm not writing anything out. Who
0: knows at this point? Well, I guess we'll just have to wait and see. And um, I think with that, we'll we'll let y'all go ahead and get on with your week, um, including okay. all the FBI, ATF, NSA, and CIA listening <laughs> to this now. So you guys enjoy That's your
1: right. week, too. Yeah, y'all,
0: y'all have fun, boys.